10% off. Fourteen seventy, one hundred 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, my buddy Jonathan Jurgens is here with a couple different organizations, one of which is called TAMRA. And TAMRA stands for, once again, Jonathan? Threat Assessment Mitigation and Response Association. All right. So you put together a group of, uh, like, Avengers. It's your own version of Avenger people? <laughs> sure. Okay. Sure, if you want to call it that. Well, I mean, I know. Because, uh, all right. Uh, but they all do all kinds of things in the world of security, uh, technology, uh, keeping your building safe, you safe. Uh, you actually mentioned to me that you've worked with some political polling places. You yeah, put in yeah. cameras, and that's kind of interesting. Uh, compare, uh, think about a conversation I was having yesterday. Um, but the reason I invited you in is this DOJ report drops about Uvalde. Mm-hmm. And with it, the White House says gun control. That This is what we need. Always, actually, always the go-to. Right. And actually, you even hear within our own news uh, that we're playing audio of, of people uh, connected to Uvalde that are saying that uh, the problem was that a young person was able to obtain uh, um, an assault rifle. Sure. So when you read through the report itself, as someone who's an expert in security, how do you react? Is that what you think the right answer? I'm sure it's not, but what do you think the right answer is? No. Um, so, you know, I, I've been having some conversations uh, recently in other uh, forums and, and uh, with some with some actually really intelligent people that, that kind of have a similar uh, viewpoint on that as as they do in regards yeah. to gun control. Um, the, the thing is, is that I'm one of those type of people that believes that if you remove a tool from your toolbox, you're probably not going to be able to handle the job at hand, right? Sure. And the, the problem that we keep running into with this gun control argument is it, it, it does not stop criminals from getting things to kill people with. It, it's just right. the truth. Right. Even, even the exact same weapons that we would say are illegal, um, they, they wouldn't necessarily stop breaking laws if they're going to go ahead and take lives. Here, simple question. This is happening in Peoria, okay? Sure. And and even there was a guy uh, out of Eureka that was arrested over manufacturing this type of situation. Mm-hmm. So it's illegal to own a machine gun in the state of Illinois, correct? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so explain to me how it is that all of these kids are ending up with Glocks that have Glock switches that make the Glocks fully automatic then. I can't, uh, except mean, did for the they fact not that buy them from a gun the dealer? Yeah, they didn't, uh, no. if they didn't do it recently. Yeah, okay, right. so then we've acknowledged the fact that a criminal is committing a crime. Mm-hmm. Committing a crime above and beyond what they already intend to commit. Right. So how is that going to change when a criminal is going to kill somebody? How is that going to change right. their actions? It, it really will not. No, and as you just pointed out, the, the largest crime is the taking of life. If you're willing to do that, I imagine you'd break any other crime along the way. Fairly certain misdemeanor is probably not going to look so bad. Yeah, you won't care. Um, I want to say something else. I don't know how familiar you are with this story. This is just kind of out of nowhere. But we were reporting on it a lot, I think, yesterday or the day before. Uh, there was this car deal. Uh, where people put this Facebook Marketplace thing up, and they said, hey, uh, come here and uh, buy this car. And I guess some people from out of town, uh, maybe somebody from out of state, uh, came in to buy the car. Mm-hmm. They show up, and a group of people lead them into an alley, which you got to feel like I'm not, this isn't a good situation anymore. Yeah, and then, I think they make weird like memes about stuff like that. Yes, but, yeah. but then it, it uh, devolves into a firefight, mm-hmm. and it just so happens that one of the two people who was almost a victim of being killed during an attempted robbery is licensed, armed, allowed to have their weapon, uh, draws it, uh, kills one of the people that is trying to hurt them. Uh, That's the only person that lost their life in this interaction. And then everybody else flees. So one way to assess that situation is that that person who was almost a victim of something luckily was armed and able to defend themselves and prevented that, prevented themselves and their friend from uh, being victims of more than just an attempted robbery. How fascinating of a story for that to be here locally uh, within a couple days 
of this ongoing conversation about gun control because of Uvalde. Well, so I was talking to, uh, I'm very connected with police officers around this area, um, one of whom I have the most uh, respect for that I, I can't even describe. Like this guy really puts it out on the line to try to make things better for, mm-hmm. uh, for the police community and the community as a whole. And, uh, you know, one of the things that he made, he, he stated that it just took me oh, like back a second was who is the first responder to an incident like a mass shooting? Who is it? Who is it? Local police, I no. would imagine. Okay. It's you. It's me. It's oh, whoever's yeah. right next to the victim. Sure. So the reason we're seeing actually, to be honest, we're seeing a reduction in killings in these instances because people are getting more training in how to respond in those situations. They know yeah. to apply uh, tourniquets and things like that. But they're also starting to recognize behaviors in people, and they're starting to report these things sooner. So these are all wins. And just because these things are happening doesn't mean that there's not good things coming out of it. I know that sounds very contradictory. No, sure. I, yeah, I know. But in just like, to be honest, like he was also discussing with the uh, the Nashville shooting, how even though they did a lot of things right, there was still room for improvement. There were still mistakes right. that were made, and some of them could have caused other problems that existed. Well, what's crazy to me about Uvalde specifically, and, and a lot of this I think people probably know, but it's all put step by step in the DOJ report in, in pretty um, significantly detailed fashion. So this person uh, shows up at a school mm-hmm. after taking the life of a family member. I actually have the timeline if you'd like me to go through it real Well, fast. sure, but the, the part I want to focus on most, if you want to go through all of it, is the fact that the person made a scene by crashing a car and firing at a funeral home, mm-hmm. which allowed 911 calls to come in, allowed police to respond, uh, which means, and this is within that timeline you're, you can share with us, three minutes of when the shooter breaks into the school police are on the scene. Right. It's not quite usually that fast, but because of the way that the the beginning parts happened. So my biggest question to you is, had the school actually been locked appropriately, you would assume the shooter would have taken all three, if not, you know, some of that time to breach the school. Mm. And then the situation could have been profoundly different if cops arrive well, the person is still trying to gain access to the school or not yet in the classroom with the children. Well, so um, just so you know how the, the breach of the school occurred was sure. the fact that a teacher had propped the door open with a rock. Mm-hmm. So in other words, their access control system wasn't set up in a fashion that was easy to be used so that the teacher could leave their classroom, go get what they needed to out of their car and come back in. Or even if they're stepping outside to have that prohibited smoke or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's, sure. if it's not easy to use, if it's something that causes somebody a, a great amount of additional effort, they're going to bypass systems like that. And because it wasn't notifying the school that the door was open, nobody was able to go check. Yeah. So those are already failures, right? right. These, are, these are things that we could have already had in place to prevent that from happening. Um, but that being said, you know, same thing with adding a camera system with analytics. Once again, you can see these things unfolding and do something about it, yeah. thus allowing the cops to have more, you know, adequate response time to prevent further loss of life. Sure. Um, the 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 training aspect of it that, that kind of failed as well is like, as you said, the, the, the police were in the building and they were stacked on each other. They were waiting to go. Um, when shrapnel hit two of the officers, yeah. they went from it being a active shooter situation to starting to treat it like it was a barricaded suspect situation. And you can't go that direction. We learned that in Columbine 25 years ago. Right. And then something you need to understand or the general public needs to understand, there is no standardization. And the officer in question that I was talking to, he's one of the guys that's trying to make
make sure that there's a standard operating procedure across all agencies that could possibly respond to this across the state. Gotcha. Because that's how lives are saved, is trying to get good people with good intent into a bad situation to stop bad people from doing evil things. Yeah. Uh, well, but the first couple officers, as you said, are there within three minutes. Uh, they're at the door within three minutes. So they're hit with the shrapnel and they, they back off. If they had gone in, uh, and I know that that's the thing that we praise cops for, the running toward danger when the rest of us run away. Mm-hmm. But if they had gone in, risked their lives, uh, hopefully not been harmed and ended the threat, not only in those three minutes would some of the shooting have been totally prevented. Uh, some of the shooting occurred after those first three minutes. But people who were injured and not yet lost could be saved. Because oh, man, of the way it actually in which... gets worse than that. In, in the timeline, I'm just going to kind of skip sure. to it rather than read through the whole thing. So in the timeline, um, officers or, uh, sorry, medical personnel had been loading some of the victims into the bus without actually treating them. Wow. So we had that going on. We had families of, of the victims that had been deceased being told that their family members were okay. Yeah. That and they too. actually obviously weren't. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I mean, it's just like like the report actually dictate or or illustrates it was a cascading failure yeah. among everybody. Yeah. Like it was just from start to finish, it was bad. I mean, the guy, this whole thing technically started September uh, 2021, where he starts trying to buy guns and, and buy things um, to, to commit a crime. He's online talking about it. Um, yeah. March to May of 2022, uh, the gunman alludes to plans on social media to... To shoot up a school, uh, May 16th through the 18th, 2022, shooter purchases ammunition and, and guns. And then the day of the shooting was May 24th, 2022. So at some point in time, we could have caught this. The algorithms that can tell you that uh, you're being politically slanted and uh, untruthful on whatever, these things can also be applied to these types of situations. Sure. Yeah. You can look for anyone making uh, a credible threat or even you assume other kids are probably voicing concern. Right. This person is putting this on social media. I can't imagine any of the kids in the school aren't telling somebody uh, about it. And taking these threats seriously is, is vitally important. Dude, back to gun control for a second. All right. The kids should not have been able to obtain the firearm he got. Mm-hmm. So how is gun control going to work when it already failed? How, why wouldn't he have been able to obtain it just because of his age? Yeah, his age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I, I understand that. And honestly, I know that that won't be the case. In every shooting, there are people who, who buy guns after the age 18 or wherever the, the laws might be. Uh, but even more so, and I guess if you want to call that red flag laws, uh, some level of, of noticing the mental, uh, the lack of mental health for this individual mm-hmm. uh, could have also saved lives. Yeah, there's actually a reporting site, and I think I just sent it to you a little bit ago. Let's see if I can pull it up here real fast. Um, at the uh, Illinois uh, state government, there's already, uh, let's see, it's called a Firearms Restraining Order Act. Mm-hmm. And you can actually go and report uh, people that have um, mental breakdowns that are occurring. And they, if they pose a clear and present danger, you can actually get involved, see something, say something. This is yeah. where this all starts. Yeah. You, you know, you got to have the policies in place, the procedures in place to try to prevent it. You've done the best that you can. If the policy and the procedure fails, then you need to have systems and training and action in place. That's why Tamara exists. It's to try to start everything at the furthest distance possible to save life. And if the, anything breaks down along the way, we want you to know how to handle it, how to respond to it, and how to cope with it, deal with it, and recover from uh, it. You've told me uh, a bunch of times on this show when we're talking about it, or even off the air, uh, that the amount that you can delay uh, the most horrific parts of attacks, like the, the amount of time you can put in between when someone attempts something and when someone could be successful at something, 
is vitally important to right. the, the ability to save people. Mm-hmm. And those are all the mitigation aspects that technology or whatever else can add uh, to a building, to to a community, to a school uh, that you guys are so proficient. And a lot of stuff you showed us uh, at the last uh, Tamra conference. I want to take a break. And I want to ask you something else when we come back from the break. Sure. And it's it's not about Uvalde. I do really appreciate your diving into that. Um, I have been notified a few times. I don't know all the details of this, so I'm not going to put any names out there. But I've notified a few times recently uh, about a veteran uh, who recently had all of their guns taken away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, again, I don't know all the aspects as to why the person did not commit any sort of violent crime from what I know. Um, and I'm not going to use names. I'm not going to try to point the blame anywhere. But I want to ask you about the mental impact that could have on someone who's not doing anything inappropriate uh, with the guns that they legally have the right or, you know, the Second Amendment uh, gives them every uh, right to own. And when you take them away from someone, because Mm -hmm. what I know about this veteran is that this has caused quite a bit more struggle and mental instability uh, than had existed there uh, before this action was taken. But we'll we'll dive into that deeper. We'll get your opinion on that in just a bit, because I think that leads into a lot of the flaws in gun control being the solution as well and who it might actually harm. Uh, AM, it's 1470, FM 100.3, all over the Internet, the WMBD radio app, a great way to... Slash Peoria. WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, Lots of, lots of stuff to talk about today. Um, I do want to get some of the political news of the day, but before that, I want to just quickly talk about this. I'm promo code Clay. Fourteen seventy one hundred point three WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, My guest is Jonathan Jurgens. He's with Tamra and other organizations, uh, but Tamra is an organization that tries to keep you safe, your building safe, uh, pretty much uh, do a bunch of stuff in the world of technology mm-hmm. uh, as far as threat assessments go. Um, I know that you and I talk a lot about guns. I know you seem to be incredibly knowledgeable in the world of the newest gun laws. I know you're not a lawyer by trade, um, so I don't mean uh, to put... N- nor do I play one on TV. <laughs> I don't want to put this in the legal sense uh, that I know this uh, veteran is looking for, for some legal help there. Uh, but I do wonder, because uh, uh, through a mutual friend, I, I met a guy. Uh, he fought in <laughs> Vietnam. Um, he has some health things that are an issue for him. Um, but he's a very proud gun owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he says there's a catharsis for him. I've talked to him a few times now in going out and shooting. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, uh, having his own guns in his house, too, because sometimes people who go through that horrible experience of war never feel secure again. You know, like the the protection he feels from having guns in his home in case anyone ever wanted to do him harm and break into his house is is so mentally valuable to a guy like him. Um, And he had his guns taken away. Uh, It wasn't because of something violent that happened, from what I know. Uh, He claims that even as the process had unfolded, that several times he was told by authorities that it would be very easy for him to reacquire his guns uh, once whatever was going on was over. Uh, And that has not been the case. He has now been without these, uh, without his his property uh, for a couple months. And so I wanted to ask you as a gun expert, as an advocate for certain things, how much that component is misunderstood 
uh, by a lot of people, like the damage that could be done to taking guns away from someone who is not harming anyone. And for whatever reason, this has happened. Uh, again, I don't know all the details. I haven't uh, talked to the other side of this conversation. I just thought it was such an intriguing thing to discuss um, because that part is non-existent in conversations about what we do to prevent stuff like Evaldi. Right. Well, um, what's your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby? Yeah. Currently, it is to go shooting. Like <laughs> well, that, it's my current favorite hobby. <laughs> uh, my longtime favorite hobby has been to play basketball. Okay. So uh, I know it sounds very outlandish, but so did uh, stripping people of their Second Amendment rights, or any rights for that matter, for many years. Sure. Um, what if you were no longer allowed to play basketball? Yeah, You had crazy. that taken away from you. Yeah. Um, you couldn't even play a video game version of it because, you know, we just think that basketball's bad. Yeah. Right? Um, anything you have passion for and you take that away, you're taking away somebody's ability to cope in bad times. And the reality of the situation is I understand that guns are dangerous. So are cars. So are a lot of other activities that you're doing. Um, boats, jet skis, SUVs, or uh, ATVs. Nice way to work in jet skis. I know you have one. <clears throat> no, no, no. I don't have <laughs> What are you talking about? No, I don't. Go ahead. Continue. So, uh, but those are all things that people enjoy. And yeah. if you take that stuff away from people for no reason at all, right? Um, you're going to cause them damage. If there's money invested in there, how would you like to have your car just from your house, government? Yep, yeah, it's mine. Yeah, it's Sorry. too dangerous. You can't have it anymore. Right? Yeah, no, we don't trust you with it. And don't get me wrong, people do lose their licenses for good reasons sure. occasionally. Yeah, but it doesn't mean the government comes and takes the car. Right. right. So there's no compensation to these people that have their their stuff taken. It's it's kind of a, a mess, really. But as far as easily getting um, the guns back and getting the rights back, he, he's going to have to get an attorney. It's now entered the legal realm. Yeah, He's going to have to go to court over it. It might not be that big of a court deal. It just might be a, hey, here's the attorney. Here's my representation. What's my next step, judge? How do I do this? Oh, sure. show me that you aren't having these issues anymore. Okay, cool. I go unfortunately pay more money to get my rights back, but I go through the mental health you know, assessment. I go sure. back and, okay, judge, I've done this for a few months. Um, my attorney's with me. Can I have my guns back? Oh, yeah, everything looks good. Here you go. Yeah. There's, there's not, by and large, especially locally, there's not this huge movement to try to take away the stuff that you own. The thing that's concerning, and especially for a lot of people right now, you have the Protect Illinois Communities Act. Sure, and the registration and, stuff. Man, and, and by the law doesn't even pass the state constitutional muster, but because two judges got paid off to go ahead and say, oh, yeah, it does, now we have to wait on the Supreme Court to get involved. Yeah. That's tough on people. Sure, of course it is. And so, and it's stressful. Do you know what the someone. compliance is? At the, is it still really low? It's pretty much what it was the same day. That, <laughs> like, like 0.1%? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's bad. But, okay. And, and the thing is, I don't look for that to change either. I know that no. people have some serious concerns about whether or not that's, you know, just a prelude to confiscation. There's threats of that. And there's right. legislation that's trying to be put up right now where they're trying to put another $8 million into the Illinois State Police Fund to try to go around and do that. Right. I mean, I, I know a lot of police officers. I know they don't have any desire to do this. I know that there's a lot of state, um, like uh, uh, state's attorneys, they don't want to do it. Judges that don't want to do it. So I, I, it, I look at it as a political farce as it stands. But it, nonetheless, it's been it, it's been a, an attack on your rights as a as a citizen. Yeah. And imagine if that attack was going on for your First Amendment, because I mean, let's be honest, language is probably more dangerous than a gun is. And language motivates people to do bad things. Sure. And I mean, look at the political 
you know, divide we have right now. It's yeah. people talking back and forth about how the other person is evil yeah. and you shouldn't trust them. You know, it's so interesting about you saying that, uh, Jonathan, you don't have my rundown in front of you. Uh, but I, just after the break and just after we do the news, I want to play some very powerful words that a Democrat spoke in a synagogue in New York City about anti-Semitism, about the feelings that he has about what's going on in the Middle East. And it's it's very similar out of the sentiment you just gave about what the real dangers are uh, going on in our society. So and that's a Democrat that's getting a lot of universal praise from both sides of the political aisle. Uh, and he actually, uh, I think, did this back on Monday uh, for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, too. Uh, so that's coming up next, uh, Jonathan. Way to tease it. That was a perfect setup. <laughs> yeah, Thank you. Knowing. Thank you for coming in. How do people contact Tamara? Uh, they can go to Tamara.us. And uh, there's there's another company, actually a couple other companies. they got Pearl Technologies. They're in here all the time. Yes. Uh, QRT. I've uh, been in here a couple of times to talk. But, uh, yeah, those guys are all real good at what they do. Uh, they provide training uh, for these types of incidents. Sure. Um, they'll you know, run you down how to run, hide, fight. They'll help do building assessments, tell you where you can strengthen your physical security with like better doors, uh, window laminates, things like that. Nice. Uh, we kind of toss that back and forth between the two of us as who's the kind of there. Um, we recommend each other for the work. Same thing with Pearl Technology. They do that too. You know, the, yeah. uh, cybersecurity, I, I definitely trust those guys. Oh, That's yeah. who you need to contact. So Yes, our morning show absolutely does, too. Dave Johnson pops up there quite a bit. Yeah, um, I get to talk to him every now and now. then. Awesome, dude. Uh, thank you so much for everything. Uh, and actually, I, I didn't even get to it, and I know we got to get to the news, but you have potentially invited me to t- partake in something crazy, but something that'd be really interesting with That's law enforcement. That's a big enforcement. teaser, yeah. yeah sure. We um, won't get into it too much now. But if, if it happens, there's going to be a lot of conversations so it's, about it. It's going to happen. Okay. Um, ah. I already, already had that conversation right, cool. earlier today. Awesome. Um, and you'll be able to go observe what it is. It'll be the rescue task force training. Yeah. Um, you'll get to see kind of how it operates. Yeah. You'll get to play one of the role players in the situation. I'm, I'm going to play yeah. a bad guy, Will Stevenson. I'm no, gonna, might, oh, how is that different than every, any other day? <laughs> you might get Depends to play a victim. Yeah. Oh, I might get to play a good guy? Uh, or a victim. Okay. All right. Well, all right. Craig, <laughs> I want you to be a hero. Can you play a hero? I can ask. Uh, I don't think we're going to me. All right. Thank you, Jonathan, as always. Uh, no we've got to get to the news. Uh, AM, it's 1470 FM, 100.3. Uh, you can listen to us anywhere on the globe. Just download the WMBD radio app. Will Stevenson, live and local in the WMBD radio newsroom. By the way, there is a story on the latest on the state's assault weapons registry available at WMBDradio.com. Meantime, this just in, the U.S. House has now approved a stopgap bill to fund the federal government through early March and avert a partial government shutdown. Bill sent now to President Biden for final approval. The measure passed 314 to 108 in the House with 106 Republicans and two Democrats in opposition. Earlier today, the Senate passed it 77 to 18 ahead of the weekend deadline. Both chambers accelerating their votes on it because of a forecast snowstorm tomorrow that could have snarled lawmakers' departures for the weekend. The Democratic majority Senate and Republican-controlled House are far behind in carrying out the basic duty of funding the government for the fiscal year that began October 1st with lawmakers scrambling to keep the lights on to give them more time to pass a full-year bill. A Peoria man whom prosecutors claim fired at least 15 shots from a gun his mother bought has been convicted of first-degree murder. Court records indicate 20-year-old Eric Jackson was convicted today of first-degree murder along with two counts of aggravated battery. The jury returning the verdict a little more than an hour after deliberations began and at the end of what was a three-day trial. Prosecutors say Jackson shot 21-year-old Michael Johnson II in the back of the head in the city's North Valley 
Valley area July 4, 2021. Johnson died two days later. Two other people were also hit when they were shot. Jackson will be sentenced March 12th. His mother, by the way, is believed to be serving a four-year federal prison sentence for the gun purchased. New this half hour, a longtime publication of the Catholic Diocese of Peoria is coming to an end. Bishop Louis Tilka says the Catholic Post will cease publication in the coming month. 25 News reports according to a letter written by Tilka, it became difficult to find a new editor after the previous one retired. That, along with increasing costs, are to blame for the move. Tilka says he's looking for other ways to share the news of the diocese. The Peoria Diocese covers an extensive portion of northern and central Illinois. WMBD News is brought to you by Overlander Electric. For all your 24-7, 365 electrical needs, including solar power and generators, call or go to OberlanderElectric.com, a trusted name and sense. DOJ report about Uvalde. Uh, I, I read a lot of it, um, pretty much all of it uh, at this point. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that I got as much from the actual report as I could before I went on the air with you in case there's a chance that uh, you're just going to read some of the summaries other people create on this thing and not uh, dive into the report itself. Um, but to say that the response was a failure uh, and the response did not follow any of the things that are supposed to be the most uh, current versions of training in the world of an active shooter uh, feels like an understatement. Uh, they didn't even... Uh, qualify uh, what was going on correctly, although there was back and forth debate about that within the DOJ report. There were some people referring to what was going on as an active shooter situation, and then other people were saying it was a barricaded uh, situation, meaning uh, there were no one, there was no one uh, in uh, jeopardy, no lives in jeopardy. Uh, the craziest part about it, too, is that there essentially were uh, two people that thought they were in charge, uh, one on each side of a hallway inside that school, and the fact that the first officers who responded on the scene uh, got there within three minutes of the shooter getting into the school, uh, meaning that this could have been ended three, four minutes into the start of it, not into the start of the first uh, victim uh, getting shot, but into the start of the entire thing when the person is going into the school and trying to find uh, what doors are unlocked to get into. That is something, uh, because if that had happened, and if medical personnel arrive quickly enough as, as well right after, uh, then lives could have been saved. People who were on the ground injured, including one officer's wife. Uh, and that was a whole big thing. I remember when this happened, there was a viral photo or video of a cop that looked like they were just kind of checking their phone. And then people criticized that police officer for uh, not understanding the immediacy of the situation. Like uh, many of the officers either didn't or weren't allowed to behave uh, a different way. Uh, but that officer was actually uh, getting messages and, and a call from his wife, who was one of the teachers that sadly died, uh, who was alive and, and dying at that time. Uh, but to, to look through all of this, to read through every aspect of it, uh, you wonder how anyone, and the Department of Justice um, is the place that created this, in, you know, the whole report in the first place, how anyone could read all of it and think that the right answer is anything other than and I'm not trying to be political. I don't actually desire to do that, even though these conversations are, other than fixing all of these mistakes. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes is a door was left unlocked uh, that the shooter used to gain access to the school, a door that someone else uses right when um, the, the commotion starts, right when a car is crashed and shots are fired at a funeral home across the street or a funeral. Uh, yeah, I think it's a funeral home across the street. Um, someone goes from outdoors inside and closes a door but doesn't realize that it's not 
locked and it, it should be locked, but someone had unlocked a door that's supposed to remain locked at all times and only be accessible when someone opens it from inside. So closing it, I'm not going to blame anybody for that necessarily. Uh, I don't know who unlocked it in the first place, um, but that's part of the problem too. Uh, gain access to the building is something that you're supposed to be able to prevent or at least do a better job of, of slowing down uh, in the world of these things. And then uh, the response of police, like think if both things happen. The shooter, um, I, I apologize if I'm you know, stumbling all over this. It's just so hard to to comprehend how all this occurred the way it did. Uh, but let's say all of the right pieces of the process happened. Let's say that door had, had been correctly locked when it was closed, uh, right when the shooter first gets to the school, crashes a car, and fires at a funeral home across the street uh, while making his way toward the school. Uh, if that occurs in that way and the shooter can't get through that door because it's locked, within those three minutes uh, that it takes for the first initial response from police to arrive, you would think the shooter was still trying, would still be trying to breach the school uh, in some other way, as opposed to being inside a classroom and already uh, harming children and teachers, uh, taking the lives of kids. Uh, you would think that if that happened correctly, that this could have been ended outside of the school uh, between police and a person holding a, you know, a gun. Uh, and so that doesn't happen. And then they wait over an hour uh, horrifically. And kids are on the phone with 911. And one of the two people that was in charge, uh, a police chief in the area that people have talked about a lot, uh, Pete Arredondo, um, puts down his radio. He, he just, like, abandoned it at some point, decided he needed his hand free, and continued to get the situation wrong, that it was a barricaded, um, you know, person and not an active shooter situation. There were also officers that thought that this uh, commander was inside the room with the shooter as opposed to outside. So there were so many miscommunications and failures there that you think should have easily been avoided. Uh, and then it takes over an hour for a completely different team to arrive on the scene, not check with any local command, not care uh, what any of the other cops are essentially saying in the area and just choose to go in and end the threat. And they end the threat quickly and none of those cops, uh, none of those officers get hurt. Uh, one guy has, I think, some bullets that uh, graze his head. Uh, but this could have happened an hour earlier, and some of those people who had been shot and were bleeding would have been savable. Uh, but by the time that the police actually get in the room and then paramedics get in the room, uh, all of those who had been injured uh, don't make it. I, I think outside of one kid, I think there's one kid who had uh, a gunshot wound and survived over an hour and even ran out of the classroom when cops finally took it over, along with the other kids who had not been hit. Um, just horrific. Just every part of it is horrific. Uh, like I said uh, before the show started, uh, we will have a security expert, a um, you know person who who does a bunch of this stuff. Actually, somebody uh, in Jonathan Jurgens at Tamara who might help me get a better understanding of the police training stuff, and I'll talk about it with him when he gets here. But he's invited me potentially to be part of something that I think could be really, really interesting, uh, a heck of an experience, uh, and also you know a much better. Um, a way to understand how these things work and what's supposed to happen and how many things the Uvalde Police Department and some of the other police departments got so utterly wrong. Uh, the report also does say that most of the people who were in charge that day have either retired or been fired. So a, a vast majority of those responsible for this terrible decision or set of decisions or length of terrible decisions all no longer are with a police department uh, in Texas or anywhere else. Uh, so that's probably a good thing. All right. Uh, on that note, I know that was a long chat about that. I have a bunch of other stuff to talk about. And we have an expert guest coming on uh, to dive deeper into that story as well. AM, it's 1470 FM 100.3 everywhere on the W promo code Clay. 
1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Bunch of stuff to talk about, as I always say. Uh, let's have some fun, if we can, on a day when there's a lot of intense, sad news out there. And uh, just a lot of political crap that I'll also cover uh, later on. It's honestly like almost always uh, political crap. I don't think there's a lot of stories that land in the world of politics. I'm like, oh, this is fun. Oh, it's a good time. Nothing about this is bad. Everything about this is just great. Uh, no, that's not how that works. Uh, but other stuff out there. A woman says her HR department uh, always has to change uh, their email address uh, due to her crappy initials. Uh, this is amusing. Um, apparently, when you have 10, 10 kids and you do this uh, several years ago, uh, you might throw some names out there that are no longer all that great. I don't know. Can I say this on the radio? I feel like I can say this on the radio. Uh, her name is... is <laughs> why why is it her name is shart uh that's that's the word uh which is um a name i'm just using it as a name i guess her name is also samantha uh but uh, she's known by the nickname which is not good um <laughs> i can't ah this story's awesome uh so she she has a an email address uh that's not really helping her out um especially since her last name is is hart um, so people who send their the email to S-H-A-R-T at uh, the company uh, get um, a surprising answer, especially if they're making some jokes. Uh, every part of this is great. I, you know what my favorite part is, actually, is that uh, people at her office have started calling her that. that, that like, that's a nickname now, because uh, that's got to not feel uh, all that good. Uh, but apparently HR has to keep uh, changing it, has to keep uh, fixing this problem, uh, because, well, uh, people complain, especially when she emails out. To anyone outside of the company and they're looking at it like who just emailed me from this place uh, what what individual works there i'm a child i find this way funnier uh, than i should probably all right a bar renamed itself the gym uh this is to help out for people doing a new year's resolution this is in the uk uh, the bar decided that hey uh, you want to go to the gym you want to text people that you're at the gym all of those things work for us, especially if we go ahead and just uh, rename our bar uh, the gym. I love this, actually. They do a lot of karaoke and other things they say that are somewhat active uh, as far as uh, being at a bar goes. So you're likely to lose maybe more weight than if you're just sitting around at a bar and not standing up and, and singing or something. Uh, actually, karaoke is said to burn about 500 calories in an hour. I feel like that's if you're singing the whole time. I don't think that getting up and doing one song every 30 minutes or more. I actually have a group of friends that love karaoke. And it's it's weird. Uh, I had a group of friends very similar when I lived in Chicago who loved to go out and do karaoke. And I'm not I'm not much of a singer. Uh, at times I sing okay, depending on the song. And other times I sing not so okay. And alcohol plays a part in how not okay my singing goes. I don't know why karaoke is so popular. Uh, and I'm not judging my friends. They're actually all pretty good singers. I'm not trying to say they shouldn't keep going to the places they go. But I don't understand it. Uh, someone should explain it to me. Uh, the popularity of karaoke, because my experience in multiple times in my life has been there's only two types of karaoke singers. The person who is quite good and probably wants a lot of people in the bar to be like, wow, that person's good. This is just like an amateur thing. This is just a, a casual thing. This person should probably go try out for the voice. I feel like that singer exists. And then the alternative is the person who's way too drunk and should not be singing in public. And that's it. There's no middle ground. I don't think there's any karaoke singers who are like, ah, that's okay. That's not so bad. It's either amazing and you want to stand up and applaud at the end and you're confused why this person isn't already famous, or it's, well, the exact opposite. Uh, but anyway, apparently it burns a lot of calories, and a gym in the U.K., well, a bar in the U.K., has decided to claim then that they are now the gym. 
uh, which again is my favorite. I, I would feel great sending those texts to the wife. Oh, I'm at the I'm at the gym. I'm going to spend about an hour here at the gym, uh, just trying to do whatever I can uh, to to experience everything this gym has to offer, and then I'll be back in a little while. Uh, when a door doesn't say push or pull, uh, what do you try first? Is a question that got asked on the internet. Uh, what's most common as far as um, the likelihood that it'll work one direction as opposed to the other? I, I love this. If it doesn't say push or pull. Uh, most Americans, 52% say they push. Uh, 51% of women say they pull. So I guess overwhelming amount of men, I went ahead and got that number to flip the other way. I would easily push. If it doesn't say anything, I just assume, like, you know, just just shove through. Uh, that makes sense. And I guess that's usually the right decision, by the way. If a door doesn't have any sort of uh, sign on it, it's probably because you're on the push side of uh, the door, according to YouGov, which sort of probably wasted their time. This is not something we really needed that much information on. I don't know how often, uh, you know, you embarrass yourself by doing the wrong thing. Even when it says push or pull, people make the wrong decision all the time. And it's sometimes uh, pretty hilarious. Uh, if you'd like to have 52 date nights at Applebee's this year, uh, there is an exciting deal for you. Uh, this is odd. Applebee's will be selling a date night pass for $200 uh, that starts next week. Uh, well, supplies last, it says. I don't know how long it'll take for supplies to run out. Uh, basically, you'll have at least seven tries or excuse times to to make your money back, uh, but you can use it up to fifty two times a year. Uh, so at seven, you're you're even, depending on what you get. Um, if you max it out, you'll get one thousand five hundred and sixty dollars in discounts uh, for going on the date night pass. I, I, I will say this: I feel like I'm a little hectic uh, this uh, afternoon on the radio with you. I like the pass thing. I like it in a lot of ways. I like it at the the movie theater. Uh, the movie pass thing that went away that used to exist. Uh, I liked that a lot. I thought that was awesome. It was like 20 or 30 bucks a month, and it didn't matter where you lived in the country when they first launched it, and it was like a, a little credit card they'd send you in the mail, and you would call it and tell it you were going to a movie, and then it would put whatever the amount of money necessary to pay for the tickets to the movie on the card. And the card only worked at a movie theater. It's not like I could just go buy anything else I wanted. But they lost so much money. Uh, with that program, because it was ridiculously cheap. Uh, when I got into it, it was it was great. You could go to a movie every weekend. Uh, you couldn't always see movies that had just opened. You had to wait a couple weeks, but it, it was it was amazing. Uh, I'm sure the prices are different now, but I, I like those things. I like the monthly membership thing in ways that it didn't exist before. Uh, I think that we should have a lot more. You know what? One that would really be cool and can't do it. I don't think they'd ever do it. Like a grocery sco store membership. Like, you pay a certain amount a month. Uh, inflation is terrible, so it'd probably be way more than we want it to be. And then you can once a week, like, uh, supermarket sweep, run through the grocery store, get as much stuff as you want, and just leave. Uh, that would be awesome. I don't want the membership to the, you know, uh, Sam's Club or whatever it is that we already have. I don't want that. I want all the groceries that I can get to be free if I go once a week for, like, 30 minutes. You can't have an unlimited amount of time. I feel like you could really take advantage of that. But there should be a price for that. And then I'm sure we'd all buy it and we'd all somehow save money. Uh, but I'm a big fan of this. I like this better uh, than buying things. I don't know. Maybe it's because of streaming. I wonder if that's why. Because all of our streaming services now are monthly memberships that you use and then cancel. Uh, maybe that's why I like, you know, everything else to be a membership thing. I would be very happy if I had a membership for everything I did. Uh, there was a certain price, like a, a gas membership a month. I think that might be a thing. Uh, that'd be good. Uh, one last one. I thought this was interesting. I don't know how you want to react to this. I don't know how anyone wants to react to this. A study found that middle-aged men who have things that the study determined 
They said there was a certain size when it, it reached this description. A man boobs is is bad for us. Thirty seven percent of young men uh, who die, uh, you know, suddenly uh, are apparently people that could be diagnosed uh, with having man boobs. Um, so uh, the University of Copenhagen uh, looked into this and said that one of the the best things you can do if you think that you're overweight or you think you're unhealthy and you're a dude is assess the size of that area. Uh, not if you work out a lot. Of course, if you work out a lot and things are in shape, uh, you might also have something that would be similarly defined, uh, but it, it would also look different. Uh, they also use the term moobs uh, in this study. I wonder if they were just screwing with us. I wonder if people just really enjoyed every part of, of this study and, and this kind of stuff and making jokes like this. Uh, but apparently this is a valuable thing to actually pay attention to uh, in your own life and actually assess uh, whether or not it's something that's gotten out of hand and then fix it uh, in order to be in uh, better health. Uh, hormone imbalances are also mentioned here as potentially a problem, uh, but it might just be more a weight thing than anything else. I don't know why I like this. I don't know who at the University of Copenhagen was like, you know what we need to study? We need to use these university dollars and look into how deadly a man boob is, how deadly a set of those are, and then tell everybody about it. Uh, but 37% more likely uh, to be the victim of you know, a sudden um, early death or, or certain illnesses uh, if you have what they described. And I don't want to go into the details about exactly what size it is. I think if you have them, you know. If, if, you're, if it's something that, that shouldn't be uh, the way it is, it shouldn't look the way it does, and you're a dude, you're aware uh, of what's going on. All right, I'll take a break on that odd note. A lot to talk about today that's serious, so I, I definitely enjoyed not doing anything serious uh, right there because I, I didn't want to. Uh, but a lot of very important stuff to talk about just after the news. Uh, AM, it's 1470, FM 100.3, getting texts from people now about man boobs. This is a thing I never expected uh, in my radio career. Uh, if you don't have a radio handy, just tell your smart speaker to play WMBD Radio or stream us at WMBDRadio.com. Uh, Will Stevenson, live and local in the WMBD Radio Newsroom. Craig, with a partial government shutdown looming, the Senate has voted to advance an interim spending bill to the House for a final vote that would push the deadline back until March. On this vote, the yeas are 77, the nays are 18, the 60-vote threshold having been achieved, the bill is passed. Only 60 yeas were needed to pass. The six-week continuing resolution will need a two-thirds vote from the House in order to officially cross the finish line. That vote could happen tonight. But Republicans may be skeptical to pass it as they prefer to shut down the government rather than continue with Democratic spending priorities. More at WMBDRadio.com. A Justice Department report finds cascading failures during the 2022 Uvalde, Texas school shooting. Law enforcement response to the mass shooting at Robb Elementary was a failure. Attorney General Merrick Garland amid the DOJ's scathing new report showing local police in Uvalde responded within minutes, five of them advancing under the sounds of gunshots. They came under fire, took on shrapnel, then retreated as hundreds of officers descended on the scene, most not knowing what to do because of failed leadership. Officials on scene transitioned from treating the scene as an active shooter situation to treating the shooter as a barricaded subject. Over an hour went by with more shots being fired by the gunman before police advanced again, killing him, though not before he murdered 19 students and two teachers. Fox's Jeff Manasso, a probe into the mass shooting by the Texas legislature, found similar failures. Several officers have lost their jobs over it. The law enforcement response to the shooting has also led Uvalde County prosecutors to open a criminal investigation. 
A long-talked-about project in downtown Peoria is finally close to beginning. The city of Peoria says work will begin in March to convert Adams and Jefferson streets from one-way to two-way streets. The work would be done over two and a half years at a cost of nearly $19 million. The city says it will include shortening pedestrian crossings, bike lanes, new traffic signals, and overlaying of the existing pavement that's in addition to having one lane in each direction. The city has set up a website for the project and an email distribution list for those who want updates on the project. You can find that website and that email address at WMBDRadio.com. WMBD News is brought to you by Oberlander Electric. For all your 24-7, 365 electrical needs, including solar power and generators, call or go to OberlanderElectric.com. A trust and name in Central. Fourteen seventy, one hundred point three WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. The VFW in Peoria Heights is one of my favorite places to go in town uh, for several reasons. Uh, honestly, the staff is great. Uh, the drinks are are good and not actually very expensive. When you go to the VFW, uh, any VFW, I imagine, but especially the one in Peoria Heights, and you have way too good of a time, and then you ask for the bill, you think that they forgot to ring stuff up because it's usually not very expensive at all because uh, prices aren't horrible uh, like they are in some places. Uh, but the biggest reason I, I love uh, going there, and probably the reason I would like to continue to tip them uh, well over whatever the tab is, is just that they do uh, great stuff. They're very philanthropic. They're actually a charity. Uh, so when you spend money at the VFW and the Heights, uh, that goes beyond whatever it takes for them to support, keep the bar running, keep the employees paid. Uh, they put that back into the world. And almost all of it goes to veteran causes. Of course, the VFW is a place that's run by uh, veterans of foreign wars. Uh, so it's good uh, that uh, most of their help is going to people who need it, who served our country. Uh, but they do other random acts of kindness, too. They do a toy drive, all kinds of stuff. I go there, 1505 East Lake Avenue in the Heights, uh, 1505 East Lake, or give them a call, 309-682-9875, 309-682-9875. Tell them Craig sent you. Order a Craig Collins drink, do all that stuff. It uh, makes me look good, and I really like those guys. All right, uh, some other things out there in the world uh, just to talk about quickly. Uh, the first one, a judge in Georgia is saying, hey, wait a minute, uh, we should actually look into these claims uh, that Fannie Willis, the, the DA in Fulton County, uh, might have an improper relationship with the lead attorney uh, that she gave uh, the Trump case to, uh, the racketeering case, not just Trump, 18 people uh, that are accused of doing stuff. Uh, one of those co-defendants, his name is... is um, uh, missing from me here. Uh, Mike Roman. There he is. Uh, thank you. I uh, need to highlight these better. Uh, Mike Roman, a former aide, a campaign aide to Donald Trump, uh, is the one who made the accusation. Uh, and even though there aren't a lot of uh, things that back that accusation uh, within this um, filing uh, that the judge has decided does deserve a hearing and misconduct, apparently behind the scenes, a lot of people have confirmed that there is some sort of personal relationship going on there. And the big problem with that is the amount of money uh, that Nathan Wade, a um, the lead prosecutor, is getting paid, uh, more so than any other uh, lawyer on this case, uh, but also the way in which he's spending that money. It might be on his girlfriend, uh, Fannie Willis. Those are all the accusations. Those are all the uh, could-be-trues of this whole thing. And it would blow the case wide open and likely get it dismissed, uh, which is something that is also being called for. Uh, by the person who uh, filed these charges. But the judge said, yeah, we got to look into this. I'm not dismissing this. Uh, we're diving deeper here. Uh, so that could be a very, it's like a soap opera, some of this stuff. All right, let's go over here. Uh, let's do this. Alejandro Mayorkas is making a mockery of the law. 
Um, that's how a lot of people feel. I think that's probably how you feel uh, or how you should feel. Alejandro Mayorkas is supposed to be helping secure our border. Uh, he says all the time that that's what he's actually doing. Uh, he doesn't really actually seem to be doing that as record numbers of people uh, cross into our country illegally. Uh, so he's in front of Congress. They're thinking about impeaching him. Here's part of that back and forth that I thought was pretty interesting. Ms. Professor Perlstein, I want to go to you, though, because I want to talk about, talk about that victim, the rule of law. Um, you said in your paper in defense of Secretary Mayorkas that to the extent the majority of reports allegations against the secretary are related to those policies, in particular the suggestion that Secretary Mayorkas somehow exceeded the scope of his lawful authority to set priorities for the enforcement of U.S. immigration law. That claim has been rejected most recently by an overwhelming bipartisan majority of the U.S. Supreme Court. All right, now I know there's a lot of words uh, that were just said there uh, by this congressman. Um, essentially what he's saying is that an expert uh, who's being used to back up the defense of Mayorkas, uh, that he has not even remotely failed at his um, written task to secure the border, uh, is, is, you know, a big reason why this whole impeachment thing is a sham. It's terrible. It's awful. I thought this was brilliant as far as the question goes or the reading from a report from a so-called expert uh, that's saying that Mayorkas is innocent or that the executive branch is alone in their uh, decisions on how to do stuff, uh, because then he says this. Now, are you referring to the United States Tech versus Texas case from last June? I am. But there, the, the majority opinion says, quote, we take no position on whether the executive branch uh -oh. here is complying with its legal obligation. Uh -oh. We hold only that the federal courts are not the proper forum to resolve this dispute. Now, what I love about this, and this is kind of deep in the weeds, uh, I'll be honest. Uh, it's probably not something that's on your radar by itself. Uh, but this is essentially like the roadmap to how you lie in the world of politics, especially on a certain side of the political aisle. You pick the parts of the truth that you like and you keep them and anything else that's inconvenient for you, you utterly ignore it. It's actually a joke that Chris Rock made in his most recent special. He cramped on Republicans, too, in that one. He said Republicans lie and Democrats leave out key information or key pieces of the truth. I shouldn't try to do rock. I can't do that at all. Uh, but I, I do love that. And this is one of those examples. Uh, an expert backing Mayorkas by saying that the Supreme Court very definitively decided uh, that Mayorkas is doing his job great, even though in the decision, as is being quoted now to the expert uh, testifying in front of Congress, the Supreme Court included the sentences uh, that said that they were taking no position on whether or not the executive branch was doing the job it is tasked to do correctly. Uh, they were just agreeing that it is in their um, power to dis decide what to do there. But they do have a requirement to secure the border, to secure the country. So essentially, uh, both things can be true at the same time. So when you read that language, how do you come to the conclusion that the court decided that Secretary Mayorkas is acting in accordance with his legal responsibilities? The basis of the court's ruling on standing that you just described was, as Justice Kavanaugh's opinion for the majority said, the authority to decide how to prioritize and how aggressively to pursue legal actions against defendants belongs to the executive branch under Article 2. That was the basis of the ruling that was there is no standing in this case. Well, they also said words, they've taken no position whether the justice, executive they, branch is complying with its legal obligations. How is Trump that? Appointed hey now, hey said, now. This is authority that belongs exclusively to the executive branch. Right. What you're referring to is the court says we're not in the business of refereeing anything where the executive has any amount of prosecutorial discretion. 
But they also say we're not deciding here whether the executive branch is complying with its legal obligations. Both of those propositions are true. They're both in the opinion, are they not, ma'am? The I don't court want to answer found that. that. There was no standing. Because <laughs> no, ma'am. I asked you a question. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> this proposition. And it goes on. There's like two more minutes of this, and I'm just going to stop it there. Uh, but this is so often the problem. And honestly, in, in a bunch of like maybe oversimplified ways, uh, when you have a friend who walks around and says something to you like, oh, yeah, um, it was Texas's fault uh, that three migrants drowned recently. Uh, they are they are not telling you a true thing. They're telling you something they heard somewhere or a few other people, um, a few other places might have reported on, uh, even if they've since corrected themselves. These narratives just they they live. They exist. They they move on regardless of what actual truth comes out. My favorite other one uh, recently, and this one's pretty good, is the fact that the DOJ in a recent filing finally admitted themselves that the Hunter Biden laptop is real. Uh, and now there's a bunch of videos all over the Internet um, going viral of every single time, not just Democrats or talking heads, but our current president just full on lied about the uh, legitimacy of a laptop. Because you'd have to think that there is a zero percent chance uh, that Biden wouldn't have known that laptop was legitimate, that Hunter wouldn't have been like, yeah, no, I left it there, that they wouldn't have uh, fully discussed this at some point, although it seems like they claim to discuss very little. Uh, even though business partners often met with Biden when he was the vice president. Uh, but I do think that's kind of funny now. The DOJ files something using information from the laptop in their case against Hunter Biden, uh, which essentially says, all right, fine, you got us, that dad is real. And you all remember, we should remember, and we should care about the way in which these lies were told, how Biden said the exact opposite for quite some time, including to 60 Minutes. I think this was back in October of 2020. Do you believe the recent leak of material allegedly from Hunter's computer is part of a Russian disinformation campaign? From what I've read and know, the intelligence community warned the president that Giuliani was being fed disinformation from the Russians. And we also know that Putin is trying to... I actually want to stop that for a second and try to think about it. If he's saying something true, um, what our president, then a candidate to be the president, said was that the intelligence community told the then sitting president, uh, President Trump, that the information that Rudy Giuliani had found about a laptop was disinformation, even though it wasn't. And even though the DOJ is now using it against Hunter Biden, uh, so the, the lie that would have been told to the former president would cause a lot of skepticism if that didn't already exist, if there weren't a bunch of other examples of this. If you, like, say you were Trump, however much you hate him or like the guy, and you were told by your own intelligence community when, when you're the president, if what Biden is saying is true, that this laptop is not real and it's Russian disinformation and you ignore them. You talk about it anyway. Uh, you know what I think could be great about this? This could be a template for the defense that Trump still believes the election was stolen, even though a lot of his expert people uh, within his administration at the time told him it wasn't because of stuff like this that's out there in the world, uh, too. But I just find that fascinating. Here's a little bit more from Biden in 2020. Very hard to spread disinformation about Joe Biden. And so when you put the combination of Russia, Giuliani, the president together, um, it's just what it is. It's a smear campaign because he has nothing he wants to talk about. His, what is he running on? Yeah, he's running on nothing. That's all he wants to talk about is the fact that my son left this fake laptop out there. That in 2024, uh, my Department of Justice is going to use uh, going after my son for all the crimes he committed uh, and all the business deals he made in foreign countries that we also claim wasn't happening. And you need to not look over here. That that's amazing. Uh, the, the version of, you know, a few years ago to today 
and how you might have friends in your life that also tell you that they, they see this all the time, that the story just changes, the goalposts get moved, whatever it is, uh, is the most convenient way for the politicians to get away with whatever they want. And here it is playing out in real time. All right, I'll take another break. A lot of not this uh, to talk about. I'm getting so sick of politics, uh, which sounds crazy to say on a show like this where I cover them as often as I do. But darn it, it's just too much. Uh, So let's talk about something else uh, after the break. Let's talk about a kid who went viral for their review of New York City uh, after their first visit there. Uh, Not a fan is the way I'll describe it. That's coming up after this. 1470, 100.3, WMBD, all over the Internet. The WMBD. At PeoriaCamerashop.com. 1470, 100.3, WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, This little girl uh, might be uh, destined to review all kinds of stuff, uh, be a critic of some kind. She's from the UK. She's three. Uh, Her mom brought her to New York for the first time, and the kid's assessment of New York has gone viral. Uh, Just so you know, uh, the mom, in typical, like, millennial uh, Gen Z parent fashion, uh, put a 3D camera on her child and had the kid walk around New York. So you see um, a point of view. You you see whatever the kid is looking at, and the audio, the microphone is picking up what the kid is saying uh, as she's walking around all of New York City, uh, a city that has a lot of uh, terrible uh, political decisions that it makes, but a city that I like for uh, different reasons. Uh, sports teams, I like big cities. I'm I'm a fan. Um, uh, you can be mad at me if you want to. I don't, I don't care. Uh, but here we go. This little kid, not a fan. Come on. I don't like here in New York. Why? <laughs> there's a lot of rubbish. Yeah, there is. You said it's pretty. Yeah, kind of is pretty. There's a little rubbish everywhere. <laughs> Look at all the stuff on the floor. Yeah, it happens. So many people here. Yeah, that too. Mom, I don't like New York. <laughs> oh, what's so stinky? Oh. Mom, can I get a mask? Now, do you like New York? She asked another kid on the street, like, hey, you, do you like New York? And the kid's like, yeah, kind of. And he's like, I don't. It's stinky here. I need a mask. Uh, What's going on? That's the smell of um, uh, some version of of motivating yourself, no matter how difficult things get, and also just uh, garbage and stuff on the street. It's it's a mixture of things. I kind of like New York, but there's a lot of rubbish. (laughs) It's not that fun. So stinky and so fun. So many people. There's so many people. Uh, Yeah, there are a lot of people. Uh, Betty says she could never live in New York. Uh, I could. Uh, She says the reason why is it's just ridiculous. There's just way too many people all over the place. Uh, Actually, last night, Betty and I were talking about like crazy stories you hear out of New York. You don't really hear a lot of places in our country. Uh, Things that like go unchecked or people aren't aware of for a while. And I reminded her of one I had talked about on the show, how China had set up its own police department. Uh, in New York, and nobody knew about it for what, way too long, in fact. But they had their own officers. They were arresting people, uh, shipping them back to China. They were, they were doing a lot of stuff they shouldn't do, and it was just like their own impromptu. They opened it up. They uh, thought that it would be fine, and of course, it was. I don't think they thought it would be fine. They didn't care. Uh, they fly spy balloons over our country. They open up their own police departments in New York City, and it takes way too long for people to figure that stuff out. That's bad. It's usually bad. So the kids' assessment of New York has gone viral, and a whole lot of people are enjoying it. Uh, you have 18% fewer interruptions if you work from home than if you uh, go to the office. Uh, this is according to people that are claiming they're interrupted less. Like, that's what I love about studies like this. You ask somebody, all right, you work at home, you work in the office. Uh, how often are you interrupted at home? And they're like, never. It uh, doesn't happen. I'm locked in. I do all my work all day long, and I, I don't get interrupted by anybody or anything. Uh, you're saying that because you don't want to go to the office. 
a lot of people like working from home. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know why it's such a... I mean, I, I do and I don't. It's not the end of the world um, if you do it for a few days or you got reasons. Uh, that you, but I, I like being in offices. I like being in places. I, I don't know. It, it's better, I think, for your brain, uh, no matter what your job is, to, to be leaving your house. I remember during the pandemic, my wife and I, uh, who worked together, we worked together here, we worked together a bunch of places, so that wasn't a problem, but like we would just be, uh, get cabin fever, and you just have to go, you just have to go somewhere, you'd have to do something, uh, because otherwise it would have driven us crazy, and I probably think that's why Betty and I handled the pandemic so well, is we we went out a lot, um, not necessarily to places uh, that were closed, uh, we tried to go to places, uh, but mostly just like to the park or something, just to walk around. Uh, I think that was a huge part of of it not being as bad for us. And we both kept our jobs uh, for um, almost all of the pandemic, I think, until Betty uh, eventually did some stuff and had to go be with her family because some stuff was going on there. Um, But that was probably also a big part of it uh, because I'm not I'm definitely not saying it was good. Uh, I definitely was bad. All the stuff we shut down. Uh, But when I read about these work from home things and think about, you know, how relevant that past experience was for all of us, uh, it reminds me of how. It, it, I think it really depends on how you, how you handle it as to how long. But I think we'd all go crazy. Like, I, I don't think work from home for years would be something that anyone would truly desire. Maybe very few people would truly desire it and, and feel that it's better than being in an office. Um, but I doubt you're distracted less. If you have a dog, if you have anything at your house, like do your laundry uh, while you're working during the day. I think there's a bunch of reasons to be distracted as much, if not more. Uh, electric kid scooters exist in our society now. Uh, that also clean your floor. I thought this was pretty cool. It has a mop plate on the bottom of it. Uh, they're 200 bucks, so they're not cheap. Uh, and they're really designed for, like, very little kids because you don't stand on it. You sit on it. Uh, it's kind of like a very high-tech version of what I used to drive, a power wheel, as a kid. Uh, but it has a, a whole mop, like a bunch of cleaning things. So especially if you're giving this to, like, a toddler, I guess, a pretty small kid. It's not very big. And they just drive it around the house. Uh, they are effectively cleaning for you while having a, a good time. Um, I do think this is pretty funny. Uh, and the biggest reason I think this is funny is when you're little, although I will say it this way, I think it made me a better person. Then that feels wrong to say it like that, but I don't think there's any other way to say it. Like having chores, being told to do chores, getting in trouble when you don't do them right, having some uh, notes sometimes written by Santa uh, who came in and tripped over a toy and, and couldn't find his way around our our bedroom. I remember one note that Santa wrote me uh, about that for St. Nick Day. That's uh, December 6th, I think. I don't remember what date it is, where they leave something in your shoe. Uh, but Santa wrote a pretty um, aggressive note uh, about how uh, if he came back in Christmas and the, the room was still that dirty, he was going to struggle to leave all the presents. I think that makes you, you better because you have to do it in like a, a way where you don't like it. Uh, this is trying to get kids to do chores where they're going to have fun and not even realize they're doing it because they're mopping or they're cleaning your house on their fun scooter that you bought them that they can drive around the entire home. It's funny. I like it. I'd probably buy it for uh, a kid if we had one, um, you know, if we had a kid that age or a kid in general. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it's actually going to teach them any life lessons. So I think you got to do both. If you have the the kid cleaning uh, little thing that they're driving around, you also still have to make them do some chores the real way, or at least have Santa write them those notes. Uh, that tell them that they're not getting their Christmas presents unless you and your brother clean up that horrible room, you kids. Uh, it's not how they said it. My mom's going to text me and tell me, come on, Craig. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't like that. All right, I'll take a break. Uh, a buddy of mine, actually also an expert in how to keep yourself safe, how to keep your business safe, uh, how to deal with threats, uh, is coming in in just a bit. Jonathan Jurgens to talk about the 
the shocking and yet not necessarily surprising uh, because if you followed any part of the story at all, you would have expected most of what you read in it. But it's it's very detailed and just how how terrible of a response there was uh, by the initial uh, police in Uvalde. Uh, so uh, Jonathan Jurgens and I will dive into that and quite a bit more after the news. AM, it's 1470, FM 100.3, and all over the Internet, uh, everywhere if you download the WMB. Fourteen seventy, one hundred point three WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. My wife Betty is sitting over there. Uh, Betty, how you doing? Good. I'm uh, just telling Jonathan that how cold it is outside. Yes, it's very, very cold outside, um, and you don't like that at all uh, outside. Uh, <laughs> no, you're not a fan. No, because no, not a fan. Uh, Betty's from Mexico. Yes, and uh, Betty likes to look at the snow from inside. Yeah, and then once you go outside. I feel like oh, uh, there is a very small percentage of people who actually enjoy the cold weather. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people like it. Like Jonathan's got, um, he's got the heated coat on yeah. right now. <laughs> yes. Did you see that? That's yeah, awesome. fancy, yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Um, all right, so I have a couple things to talk to you about, Betty, and then we'll get to the Spanish word of the day. Uh, you were teaching us all of Central Illinois Spanish one word at a time. Um, what were you gonna, Do you want to say something? No, Just, maybe maybe Jonathan can help you with the word of the day. Oh, you want Jonathan? Because uh, uh, yo no say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah. We'll make Jonathan say it too. That, that feels real good. That, I like that a lot. Uh, before I get into anything else, I don't know if you heard me earlier. Applebee's is offering a two hundred dollar date night pass, uh, which means you can go to Applebee's like once a week, uh, and you pay two hundred dollars for the year. Uh, that means you can go 52 times a year, and we would save like 1300 bucks. Oh, that sounds great. You want me to buy the Applebee's $200 date night pass? It's two meals? Would uh, we go there that much? We, don't, we wouldn't go that we, much. Yeah, no, it's always very crowded. And you like to cook a lot. You like us inside when you're making food and saving us money. Yes, Yeah, that's I do. a big fan. That Betty's I try. a huge fan of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. You so know the saying, alcohol's cheaper, too. Yeah, it is. It's much, mm-hmm. well, no, Betty's uh, pretty uh, cheap. Uh, that's, that's not a bad. <laughs> In the world of drinks, you don't drink very yes. much. Yes, no, yeah, I yeah, don't. You're not, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm more expensive. Um, all right. Uh, so you said yes to the Applebee's thing or no? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Let's say you're, maybe. You're in the middle on that. Yes. Uh, another one that I saw, and I had to talk to you about this, Betty, and I know you're going to tell me and our audience no immediately, but I, wa- I want you to think about it for a second, okay? A new study, science has said, men are better at directions than women. This is a- officially a thing that science has apparently proven, uh, according to the University of oh, Illinois yeah. uh, in, Ur- uh, in Champaign. Uh, they said that men are better at some of the things that fall into the world of directions. And so essentially, if we were lost, the right person to get us out of being lost is... Greg. No, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I knew knew it. I didn't say that. And actually, you know what? I'll admit it. It it is not true uh, for us. You you are very good at, you know, figuring out uh, your surroundings or, or spatial awareness or even just getting around town. Uh, you, you always get that quicker than I do. Yeah, the funny thing is, like, I don't learn uh, the streets, the name of the, the streets. I just learn the structure. Mm-hmm. So I know how to, navi- I mean, go around the city yeah. without knowing yeah. uh, buildings or, like, name of streets. Yes. Hey, um, I, I got a, an anecdotal evidence for what you're saying, Craig. Uh, was in, uh, you know the people involved, as I say it. So we were in Kentucky. Yeah. And uh, one of our friends was leading us to a bar that we were meeting her husband at. And uh, as things were going along, she's like, yeah, we're heading straight towards you. He goes, wait, you're heading towards us? I'm like, Katie, is this uh, supposed to be away from the river or towards the river? She goes, towards the river? I'm like, well, we're about 
13 additional blocks away from oh, wait, the river now. So. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's well, how a- do you know that? Because we're going uphill. <laughs> yeah, I, I see the direction we're traveling. All right, so it's true, um, maybe according to science and Jonathan, but again, Betty says a no, because if you and I were lost somewhere, you would 100% be the one to get us out. Right. Uh, probably. And it's just because I don't probably. pay attention is what you said. Yes, you are a little yeah. bit distracted. With, with I, I am actually. For, yeah. full, for full disclosure, I'm, I'm not saying yay or nay. I was just giving you an anecdotal <laughs> piece of evidence. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, I appreciate that a lot. Now, I, I think it's true. I think I, I focus more on the talking. Uh, you know, whenever I'm driving, whenever I'm going anywhere, then where I'm going. Yes, I just you, you are just go, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I just, I focus on you. And you always tell me you don't want me to look at you while I'm driving. Yeah, because he drives, drives and he looks at me like uh, he's talking to me. I mean, he wants to see my face while he's driving. Well, yeah. That's not a good idea. But if I'm making no. jokes, I want to make sure you're laughing. That's just <laughs> yeah. very important. You got to see it. Well, you just have to To be hear. fair, Craig's been around the block a time or two. <laughs> yeah, he might have been lost. Yeah, but. yeah well, it's true. Uh, but I, sometimes true. it's just fun to go an extra couple blocks, right? That's why I always tell you when I get lost. Yeah, yeah. just exploring. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. you always say that. And yes, that makes, that always you always believe it. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way she reacts. Neither directionally way. challenged nor global. Yeah, no, apparently not. Uh, one last thing, and I do like this a lot. Uh, there is a woman that apparently went viral uh, years ago for being uh, very, very feminist. She was saying, you know, all these certain things about the world, about what is and isn't uh, good in society, and then apparently she became a stay-at-home girlfriend, meaning she found a guy that makes enough money. Uh, to where they're not even married yet, but she can just live off of uh, the money he's making. And apparently she loves it. She's now going viral on the Internet for talking about how fun it is. Uh, she's 22 years old to, to not have a lot of responsibilities, <laughs> to be pampered, uh, to be at home. Uh, her boyfriend works. She does not. Uh, and people are criticizing her quite a bit for this immediate switch uh, from being an advocate on one side to being, quote, a potential hot wife. Uh, which is what she calls herself now. Um, she's very happy herself, though. Uh, what do you make of this story? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say because I've seen uh, girls that they, they are in the same um, boat. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, Especially can, in Mexico? In Mex- yeah, in Mexico. I, even some of my relatives, they are in the same situation. But mm-hmm. for me, I don't think I, I could do it just to stay at home and trying mm-hmm. to. You want to work? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. You don't Everybody's live, different. You don't want to live off of my great radio money, is what you're saying. <laughs> you don't. She doesn't want to just benefit from the world of. Yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> she's smiling again. I mean, once she once she get the yacht, then yeah. things right, might yeah, change. Right, yeah. Yeah. Probably. Well, you know, yes. I, I'm, I, I'm so close. Uh, the first down payment's coming soon on the yacht. All right. Uh, before we take a break for news, and then I'll do. I can't believe this whole segment. The topics I just talked about. Uh, I'll do the top five at five. Those are the five biggest stories of the day, according to me. Uh, you teach us Spanish, Betty. Uh, what is the word of the day today? Yate. Oh, there you go. You don't know say. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know that one. The word of the day is yacht. Yate, yes. Yeah, in Spanish, yate. Yate. You want to get a yate? Absolutely. See, <laughs> I do feel like I'm at a Starbucks and I'm ordering a yate. Yeah. I'd like it with like extra cream or something. No, oh, like latte? Yeah. No, it's a wee why. Yate. Just like the, it's a similar, it's a similar, uh, the word in, do, in English. Do you guys call lattes lattes in Mexico? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Is is a Starbucks venti still a venti in in? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's weird, but or, or maybe <laughs> not. I don't even remember. The only thing that I know is super expensive in Mexico. She doesn't oh. go to Starbucks in Mexico. Oh. She it's likes, super she expensive. Likes no, it's not that. You you like another one? You like the Italian coffee company? Italian uh, coffee company. Yeah, is which called. is which is a Mexican company that's not run by <laughs> Italians. Yes. Yes. yes, you get a lot of that around here too. <laughs> 
yeah. Mexican restaurant, a bunch of yeah, well, white people. Starbucks is also not Italian. All right, quick break. A lot more. Uh, thank you, guys. 1470. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. Thank you very much, Betty. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Do your tour today. WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, My wife Betty is still sitting in studio, so a part of me is tempted to ask her what her top story of the day is toward the end of this. Uh, Maybe I will. Uh, But if you listen every day at around this time, you know what I'm about to do. Uh, It is the uh, biggest stories of the day, according to me. We call it a thing. Here we go. It's time for the top five at five on the Craig Collins Show. That's right. The five big stories of the day in particular order uh, for only one reason. I am told that you like that better, that you, you need me to tell you uh, five, four, three, two, one. Even if I struggle, even if it's hard all the time for me to figure out uh, what truly feels like the biggest story of the day. Although today I feel uh, pretty good uh, about the list. All right. One of the bigger things that I liked out there uh, in the world is um, NBC News has a story. Uh, this is number five on my list. I should get uh, someone to actually count this down for me, too. Five! <laughs> Thank you, Count. You always go over what? and above. Yep, you go a little bit too far. I am sorry. Thank you for apologizing for it. Number five on the list, disinformation poses an unprecedented threat in 2024. The U.S. is less ready than ever. Uh, this is according to NBC uh, News. Uh, disinformation, of course, as you understand it, is people putting things on social media or anywhere uh, that influences each other that that you eventually believe but isn't true. Um, you know what's so uh, amusing? This is my honest take about the discussion about the likelihood, and they, they reference Trump within the third paragraph, I think, but the likelihood that disinformation is the uh, big giant threat to our society that people people say it is, I think it's always existed. And I think you know that, that it's always existed. I think that depending on who you cared about in your life before all the information was collected and available uh, for you to plug in on a computer, that there were probably people who told other people stuff that wasn't true that they then believed. So uh, if you call that being radicalized or whatever it is, whatever words you want to use for it, uh, the ability for people to get stuff wrong and to share their wrong opinion with others has has always existed. So a fight against that in and of itself, the ideology that this disinformation thing is uniquely now a threat to our society is actually sort of amusing to me. Uh, But of course, because of the internet, because of uh, the connected world, it's much easier to share these opinions with more and more people. And that's the conversation they have. So the reality, I know this is like a deep dive soapboxy thing, but I did think it was interesting uh, that it was being used as a lead story. And you're going to hear it a lot in political campaigns, of course. Uh, The reality is that if the world has gotten smarter, if the world has gotten more connected, if people are more capable of uh, going out there and doing their own research and finding their own things, then we have to also expect for people to become more intelligent. We have to believe in uh, the ability. And actually, it's something I often quote that I like a lot uh, in the world of, of something that John Stewart uh, said. Uh, John Stewart, a guy I don't agree with on a lot of things, uh, but he said that the best way to fight any sort of misunderstanding or, or belief in our society that exists and shouldn't, and he was actually talking about anti-Semitism and Kanye West, not all the stuff that's gone on in the Middle East, um, he said is you got to bring it to light. Uh, sunlight helps anything uh, go away, and I believe that. And so instead of a war on disinformation, instead of trying to take away people's First Amendment right uh, of freedom of speech or essentially freedom of thought, 
Uh, we should actually probably be trying to find whatever way we can uh, to educate people as much as possible, to give them access to as much information as they, they want, which essentially we sort of have now, and then believe in them to actually do a good job with it uh, instead of to try to shout down and discourage and block things uh, in the world. That's my own opinion. All right, that was a long rant on number five. <laughs> Got to get to the rest of the top five at five. Congress has cleared a stopgap spending bill for Biden, uh, moving to avert a government shutdown. You'd feel like this would be higher on my list. It's not. I decided to put it at four. Uh, Today, uh, both the Senate and the uh, House have decided that they're going to punt yet again. And any sort of now funding issue uh, will probably be pushed into, say, uh, March uh, through early March, uh, one day before money is to run out. Uh, this is interesting. And actually, I saw a pretty I saw two big takes. The New York Times is a big giant write up on this. The failing New York Times. Uh, but another one that said that that the budget fight is now an ongoing and quite a, a well-established thing in the world of politics. Uh, it's been quite a few years now that we've seen uh, this story pop up one, two, five times a year. I don't know. Uh, and it's just because this is one of the only things that motivates um, our politicians to actually do their freaking jobs. So part of what we need to do in society is get them to do their jobs at other times, not when they see, you know, uh, uh, like a, a lit uh, dynamite stick that's about to go off. Uh, we need them to, to act more uh, consistently and solve these problems um, in a way that that actually has long term uh, effect. And they have no interest in doing that because this is what forces the other side of the political aisle to go to the table on both sides. Um, so this is probably something that we'll continue to see as a story all the time. Probably one of the biggest reasons I put it at number four on my list is because it's not new, it, it won't be new, and it, it's not going anywhere, uh, even if you want to blame it on Republicans or Democrats, which, of course, uh, they constantly try to do to each other. Uh, but the, the fight for the budget is really the only way that any of these politicians do any work at all. All right, that's number four. Three. Number three on this list to me, uh, a second round of snow is expected, uh, not just here. Uh, I think that Chuck Collins had an update uh, that we may have played, but I, I saw it uh, on um, television and on you know Facebook as well, so you can check it out on WEEK's Facebook page. It's probably not going to be quite as bad here as it's likely to be some other places, uh, but the East Coast is going to get hit now. Uh, winter advisory, freezing cold, all that stuff, uh, still very much a part of winter uh, right now. And so every time I talk about this, I am tempted to keep telling you that this means that I believe not in global warming, but in global freezing. I just enjoy the fact that whenever we have the opposite take place, uh, a lot of news outlets all across the country uh, will tell you that this is a sign of this thing and we need to do this about it, even though weather is just weather. Uh, and I'm not even trying to reject global warming. I always say that when I do this. I don't know why, uh, but I do. Uh, I'm just trying to say how silly some of these things are. But at some point, I'm not going to explain this to you anymore. I'm just going to start behaving like I really believe in global freezing uh, because apparently everything's going to be cold. Everything's going to be frozen, and there's going to be a whole lot of snow for the next few days. Right. That's number three on my list. Uh, number two on my list uh, is something that I think is uh, very important, too. And actually, there's there's only... One story today, or most days, uh, I think, that would beat this. But the Fannie Willis stuff, to me, is fascinating. Uh, that is the district attorney out of Fulton County in Georgia, uh, who has now been accused by a, I guess you call it co-conspirator, whatever they're saying in the racketeering case against Trump. Uh, but someone else who's facing charges uh, has brought against uh, a Fannie Willis a lawsuit uh, claiming that she's in an inappropriate relationship with the attorney she hired as lead counsel that's going after Trump and everyone else. And that money that he's made has benefited her. Uh, so a lot of bad things 
in the world of being someone in a position of political power. Uh, and Fannie Willis has denied, I believe, uh, most of these allegations, tried to get them thrown out in court. Uh, a judge today decided that they will hear this case, that there is enough information, enough value to the um, accusation that it does deserve its day in court, uh, which could cause so many ripple effects. Uh, the fact that if she's found guilty of this sort of stuff might actually help to dismiss the lawsuit against Trump and all the other co-conspirators entirely. Even the ones who've already pled guilty is sort of insane. And whether or not that actually happens, I don't know. Uh, but the fact that it's now turning into a soap opera in Georgia uh, makes me wonder if this DA regrets. I doubt she does. She's been very vocal about uh, going after Trump and even ran on a campaign that she would hold Trump responsible for the things that she believes he did uh, that are wrong. But I wonder if some sort of part of her, now that there might be skeletons potentially coming out from her closet uh, that wishes she had just left this alone, especially since uh, there are there is a federal case against Trump for a very similar accusation, uh, one in which many people thought would cause Georgia to abandon uh, its attempt to hold him responsible for things that they say he did. And I'm, I know a lot of people uh, very much feel and I feel a lot of this is just like a crazy uh, political thing. Uh, but nonetheless, whatever happens in the federal court or in the, the state court in Georgia, uh, I do find it interesting that now more of this wrongdoing is coming out. And this this political person, this district attorney uh, might actually eventually lose her job uh, based on the decision she made in the way that it uniquely personally benefited her, uh, which is bad. Not allowed to do it. One. All right, that's number two. Number one on this list is just sad. And it's just a story that's that's huge. Uh, that broke in the middle of the day today. I had Jonathan Jurgens on a Tamara to talk about it. I gave you my opinion of it uh, early on in the show, but it's the DOJ report into the response in Uvalde uh, that absolutely went the way you'd expect it to go and dove very deep into some of the details and findings uh, that is what caused such a horrible, horrible thing uh, to happen at a school in Texas uh, where many children and two teachers lost their lives. Um, the biggest jarring aspect of this to me, and there, there's a couple, and a lot of it's stuff you, you, you again, might already know, um, not just the fact that it took over 77 minutes from when officers first responded at the scene to do anything, uh, by and large, that is the absolute biggest failure of it all, uh, that they took so long to take action that they referred to it, some of the police uh, that responded there and some of the people that were sort of in charge, but there was a lot of chaos as to who was in charge, uh, described it as a barricaded person situation, uh, essentially someone who was no longer uh, a threat to anyone because they didn't believe anyone in the classroom was still alive. And there's no reason they should have believed that uh, because the amount of kids that were still on 911 phone calls saying they were alive in the classroom, there, there were multiple calls connected. So uh, many, many reasons why that was an epic and horrible and, and unforgivable failure uh, within this situation. But also there were two other things I thought were significant. Uh, the way in which the shooter gained access to the school was because a door was not locked properly. It was closed, uh, according to the report I read. Uh, it just was not locked. So someone who came from outside, inside, uh, right when chaos started, right when the shooter crashed a car very close to the school and even opened fire at a funeral home next door to the school, uh, this individual went through a door, thought it would automatically lock, but it, it wasn't set up to do that. So that's how the shooter gained access to the school. Uh, within three minutes, cops get there and then decide, as I said, not to take immediate action, uh, which is absolutely wrong. And then the other aspect that I thought was so interesting is during the 77 minutes, one of the discussions apparently going around a lot with the cops was they needed to gain keys to gain access to the room uh, where the shooters uh, was, where there were still people both trapped and there were people that were dying. Um, and they didn't. 
uh, when the three individuals who actually uh, breached that door showed up and just decided to take action on their own, uh, even though they were given a key, uh, they realized it, it did not unlock the door. The door did not need to be unlocked. It was essentially uh, left open by the shooter. So that failure in so many ways is going to be used in all these political conversations and all these other uh, discussions. And if you actually read through the you know very long report or a lot of the summary parts of the report, uh, you realize how many um, situations, how many decisions were the wrong decision uh, that could have um, prevented uh, a vast majority of what occurred that day, potentially saved lives, depending on when the cops took action. And if the building had been secure, probably prevented the shooter from gaining access to the school at all uh, before police had arrived. All of those things that, for some reason, will not be talked about anywhere near as much as saying we just need to remove uh, a gun uh, from the equation, even though, as you heard and as you'll continue to hear from a lot of people who stand on the other side of that that debate, uh, making something illegal doesn't prevent it from happening. Uh, these people are taking lives. I don't think they'll care if they have to acquire something uh, a, in a legal way or even more so if that's not the case, if they have to come up with something else uh, to try to do as much harm. And I'm not going to go through a list of what those things are, but of course, uh, there's a lot of ways to answer that question, too. So sadly, uh, none of that uh, seems to be uh, what we should have gained from this report and the definitiveness and the failures that that happened. Uh, instead, we'll talk about what we always talk about. All right. Quick break. A lot more. 1470, 100 points. I'm promo code Clay. Fourteen seventy, one hundred point three, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, thrilled to have you with us. Bunch of stuff to talk about. Bunch of listeners uh, out there uh, sending me a lot of reactions to the stuff we're talking about today. Uh, one of my favorite ones is someone that said, "Oh my God, the conversation today is so much better than any talk about baseball," uh, which was something Mark and I talked about yesterday. I love baseball. I'm sorry out of that listener, but glad uh, you're enjoying the show today. Uh, I saw this uh, TikTok ruined my kid's life. Is a headline in the New York Post. Uh, a woman and actually uh, 5,000 other parents have joined together in a lawsuit against that social media company, uh, TikTok, uh, because of a discovery that Brittany Edwards, that's the name of the mom made, she's 34, uh, that her 12-year-old daughter had posted on the platform uh, talking about thinking about hurting herself and even encouragement uh, that came in from some of the people who followed her on social media, uh, which is uh, horrible but also not uncommon in the world of social media, because uh, many, many people who might uh, be connected to you via the Internet are people you obviously don't know or have any any um, uh, reason to, to be in connection with. And yet it just exists. It just happens. Uh, here's the thing that I thought was so interesting about this lawsuit. It's out of Connecticut, uh, by the way, is uh, this parent was sort of shocked, like um, they had never thought that the world of the Internet, that the world of social media could be this bad for her kid as it is at that young of an age and cause that level of, of stress. And I will say that it feels like that parent was uniquely being naive because uh, and I'm not trying to blame them, although I'm sure a lot of people would, because uh, more often than not, we now do understand the significant damage social media has on all people's mental health, but certainly young people's mental health and especially a young girl's uh, mental health, uh, that it, it should not be something that shocks parents anymore. And I actually kind of hope it's a lawsuit that works. Uh, it is one thing to say that I think it is valuable that we have the ability to have free speech and all that stuff in the world of 
social media, the world of the Internet, the world of whatever it is uh, you want to say that's important. At the same time, and I think Elon Musk even said this when he was describing what he wanted X to be, uh, there are things that people can be held accountable for in, in courtrooms, in, in legal situations, and encouraging someone to hurt themselves is, in fact, something uh, that you can get in quite a bit of trouble for. Uh, so I think that that stuff matters, too. And I, I would be honest, I, I don't have kids. My wife and I don't have children. If we did, even if my kid were so mad at me, I feel like I'd, I'd be a significant holdout for as long as possible, preventing my child from having social media or even a cell phone. Um, even if you tell me, like, hey, uh, that means the kid can always be in contact with you or you, you can keep track of your child. I don't know. I grew up at a time when you were just outside, when mom was like, okay, be inside by 10 and or 9, whatever. probably my curfew was earlier than that when I was a little kid. And you were like, okay, I'll be inside then. And then you just went outside and no one got hurt and everyone survived and everything was okay. I feel like we need to return to that world uh, for a lot of children. Uh, if you took away all the devices from all the kids, they would probably do what we did when we didn't have devices. Go outside, look at each other and be like, what are we going to do? And then you play games, you, you live life. And then you go inside and you go to sleep. And that's how you that's how you behave up until whatever age it is that we decide uh, that as parents, you decide that it makes way more sense to let your kids start being in that world. But I can't fathom uh, the amount of young people that way too soon uh, start being in those places and way too soon start dealing with some of the negativity uh, of those places. It's something that even adults uh, struggle with. Uh, so I think it's interesting that 5000 parents uh, in Connecticut are trying to band together to go after social media for the uh, mental harm it has done to their kids. All right, I'll take a break. A good story, bad story is coming up. Uh, audio that I haven't played but keep teasing all day long is also coming up because uh, I do find it to be very powerful. Uh, 1470 is an AM, 100.3 is an FM, and all over the Internet. If you don't have a radio handy, just tell your smart speaker to play WMBD Radio or stream us at WMBDRadio.com. Here's Will Stevenson, live and local in the WMBD Radio Newsroom. Turning out to be a busy day in our newsroom today, Craig. Governor J.B. Pritzker used Peoria Heights in its grade school today as one of several backdrops to tout what he says is the success early of state budget money funding expanded preschool, early childhood care, and other programs. The governor says expanding funding so more kids can get into pre-kindergarten programs is one of the early victories of what's called the Smart Start Initiative. We immediately went to work in our first year with a goal of expanding preschool spots available to three- and four-year-olds across the state by 5,000. The results are in, and we blew away our first-year goal by creating 5,823 new preschool seats. The governor's office says that was done through funding 95 new programs in so-called preschool deserts in the state. Morton Schools today, by the way, saying they're the recipient of such a state grant and that parents who want to get their kids into that program need to call the district and that appointments and screenings will be required. Some well-used downtown Peoria streets will go from being one-way streets to two ways within about two and a half years. Peoria Public Works says work to convert Adams and Jefferson streets will begin this coming March, costing nearly $19 million. Pedestrian crossings will be shortened, adding bike lanes and upgrading traffic signals will be part of the work, as well as overlaying the existing pavement. The city also says you can go to a special website for more details about the project and sign up for email alerts on work being done. You can find those links at WMBDRadio.com along with a map of what's being done. 
Following the Senate's approval on a vote of 77 to 18, the House votes today to pass a continuing resolution averting a government shutdown and funding the government through the beginning of March, one day before the deadline, in part because of a pending snowstorm. The yeas are 314, the nays are 108. The bill now heads to President Biden's desk. Passage of the bill gives Congress six weeks to work on and pass 12 appropriations bills, totaling nearly $1.7 trillion to fund the government through the fall. WMBD News is brought to you by SefQ Business Services. As a SefQ business member, you can enjoy competitive loan pricing, low fees, flexible deposit and cash management tools, and more, plus local decisions from a local experience team. Are you ready to get started? Visit SefQ. You can think of it. We can do it. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Going to get the good story, bad story in just a second. Uh, right now, uh, Jan, uh, Jaguar Land Rover in Peoria has 17 different makes on their lot and on sale. Uh, that's the definition of diverse. Uh, so even though uh, you might see that as a luxury dealership, and of course they are, uh, Jaguar Land Rover has a lot of uh, fancy cars. That doesn't mean that their prices aren't competitive. In fact, Phil and the team spend hours every week scouring the Internet, and I actually believe them on this, uh, to make sure that their used inventory is competitively priced out of the market. They've even uh, adjusted car prices uh, in the time since I've seen them, and I test drove uh, a car that's actually in my uh, budget, which was awesome. It's a Jaguar, and, I, and my budget's not that high, by the way. No one, I'm a radio guy. Uh, Jaguar Land Rover is also known for their robust and customer-friendly certified uh, program uh, with a great uh, selection in stock at all times. If you want extra peace of mind, ask about a certified Jaguar or Land Rover with an extra year of uh, warranty coverage, unlimited mileage after the original factory warranty expires. Uh, they create uh, much, uh, many, many opportunities for both a luxury buying experience, that's everybody gets that, and uh, quality, high-quality used cars, uh, even if those cars are not Jaguar or Land Rover. And then one last thing I'll just say about it, uh, test drives are free. Uh, Phil says that. Go over, have fun. Um, don't waste their time, though. That's kind of mean. And if anybody that listens to the show buys the uh, Porsche 911 uh, that's on sale there, uh, I want to ride. Uh, please. Uh, I, I would figure that out with you because uh, it's awesome. I highly recommend anybody uh, that uh, goes over there and tries out that car. Uh, heavily com- contemplate it. Not in everybody's budget, but if it's in your budget, uh, you can do no wrong. Um, that's my assessment of the car. Uh, but the Porsche 911, a big fan. But they do have a whole lot of cars, a whole lot of brands, as I just said, and they competitively price everything. Um, all right. Uh, Jaguar Land Rover, by the way, if you need to know where that is, uh, it's probably something that should be in front of me. Uh, they are on um, uh, Allen Road, 7300 North Allen Road, and their phone number 309 690 6100390690610. All right. Some other things out there in the world. I thought this was pretty interesting to play before we get to a good story, bad story, too. Alejandro Mayorkas is getting discussed a lot. Uh, there's some impeachment things uh, going on that might truly be a big problem for him. Uh, one of the better exchanges that happened on Capitol Hill today, which I thought was, um, you know, interesting, uh, was a politician talking to an expert an expert who wrote this whole thing about how Alejandro Mayorkas has done his job great and the Supreme Court agrees with her. Uh, and the politician had a bit of a problem with that assessment because the Supreme Court definitely didn't say that uh, within the um, decision uh, that both the politician has in front of him and then uh, this expert had in front of her. And it's, it's kind of interesting to hear the way that this back and forth fight goes. It's definitely a really good I gotcha when you bring in an expert that's trying to advocate to not... Uh, uh, kick Alejandro Mayorkas out of his job. Professor Perlstein, I want to go to you, though. 
Because I want to talk about, talk about that victim, the rule of law. Um, you said in your paper in defense of Secretary Mayorkas that to the extent the majority reports allegations against the Secretary are related to those policies, in particular the suggestion that Secretary Mayorkas somehow exceeded the scope of his lawful authority to set priorities for the enforcement of U.S. immigration law. That claim has been rejected most recently by an overwhelming bipartisan majority of the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, are you referring to the United States Te versus Texas case from last June? Oh, I am. I, I love uh, the way that that setup goes, by the way. I want to I tell you why I like it so much, because he goes through the whole assessment, and then he goes, now, wait a minute, just for context, am I reading the same thing you're reading? Are we both in this? Is this where this came from, this one place uh, where I have all this information in front of me? Continue. But there the, the majority opinion says, quote, we take no position <laughs> on whether the executive branch here is complying with its legal obligations. And she stopped reading. Uh, she read some of the assessment. Then when she got to the point where uh, they would say that what she wants them to say isn't what they're saying, she's like, no, nah, I didn't see that part. We hold only that the federal courts are not the proper forum to resolve this dispute. So when you read that language, how do you come to the conclusion that the court decided <laughs> that Secretary Mayorkas is acting in accordance with his legal responsibilities? The basis of the court's ruling on standing that you just described was, as Justice Kavanaugh's opinion for the majority said, the authority to decide how to prioritize and how aggressively to pursue legal actions against defendants belongs to the executive branch under Article 2. That was the basis of the ruling that was there is no standing in this case. Well, they also said words, they've taken no position whether the executive they, branch is complying with its legal obligations. I love, I love that part. Uh, she's like, well, they, they said that it wasn't really their purview that the executive branch has to decide to do this. And he's like, well, uh, you do know they're also supposed to secure the border, right? Like that, that's a requirement. You can't just do nothing. Uh, you can't just tell us you're doing stuff and do nothing. I love it. He goes on to say that both can be true at the same time, which seems to be the thing she most wanted not to accept. At the minute that they say, you know what, we don't really have the authority on this issue. She's like, that's enough. It means everybody's doing a good job. It'd be like if you said uh, to the boss who was trying to hold you responsible for something uh, that a different boss in another department uh, doesn't think I'm doing anything wrong. Uh, they're not involved with us at all. They're not uh, running any of this team uh, that I'm on and you're on, sir. Uh, but that other department said that they probably shouldn't make a decision, even though they looked over my work and they, they really couldn't say that I'm doing any of it well. And so I shouldn't be in trouble. That, that's the argument being made uh, in a more our lives kind of way. All right, let's do good story, bad story. I do this every single day. Uh, this is a story that tells you that society's great, uh, that the people in it are trustworthy, uh, kumbaya and whatnot. And then we go ahead and ruin that feeling almost immediately because uh, that's, well, how the world actually is. Uh, first, the good story. A guy in South Carolina named Tim uh, saved his tiny chihuahua from a coyote the other day. He grabbed the thing with his bare hands, uh, picked it up by its tail, actually, uh, and trapped it in a dumpster. That would be the coyote, not his chihuahua. He got bit on the leg and needed nine rabies shots. Uh, but other than that, he's totally fine. His chihuahua, which is named Roxy, uh, was doing fine the whole time and probably... Uh, barking just aggressively uh, at the um, at the coyote, uh, but then definitely not attacking because the chihuahua is aware that I'm I'm tiny and he's big. It actually reminded me a lot of my dog. Uh, my dog, um, I think she's gotten better at this now. I, I, my assessment is she's better at this now. But early on, when she'd see other dogs, she'd get very aggressive. 
Uh, she does well playing at like Camp Bow Wow or something. That's fine. Uh, but if you're on the street and you're walking her and she sees another dog somewhere, she, she wants to fight until she gets close to the dog. Then she immediately wants to give up, run behind your legs and wait for you to defuse the situation she created. Uh, and and uh, Monch is a bigger dog than a tiny little uh, chihuahua. But I feel like it's the same thing. It's like fight mentality up until the moment of, com- moment of conflict. And then I'm going to hide and you actually handle this uh, situation. It feels like that's what happened to this dude named Tim. Uh, but he acted. He grabbed the uh, coyote. He got bit. He's doing okay. And he saved his dog. Uh, well done, sir. A good story indeed. All right. After that one, uh, let's go ahead and do a bad one. A 62-year-old man in New York was arrested uh, for trapping and spray-painting squirrels, uh, a bright apple red color. It's unclear why he was doing this uh, or how he was even caught, which is a weird thing to say. Uh, but inevitably, at some point, uh, they found out that he was doing this. Uh, they arrested him. They charged him with three counts of poisoning or attempting to poison animals. Uh, the chemicals inside spray paint are actually toxic. Uh, to squirrels. Other violations of state environmental con- uh, conservation laws uh, also occurred, too. The guy just sounds like an absolute jerk. Uh, his name is Mark, uh, 62, in New York. Now, what I also think is interesting about him, and I'll, I'll just throw this out there, it's not necessarily like a fun, bad story. I definitely, I have another one that might be more fun to some, definitely not fun to everybody, but we'll do that one, too. Why not? Uh, but and to finish this one, uh, they say that you're like uniquely a psychopath if you harm innocent animals like that. That's one indicator of you being a real, real crap person. And this guy seems like a real crap person. All right. The other story out there, probably not going to be funny to a lot of people. Uh, some people put it all over social media. So I do want to discuss it. Uh, a guy who's being referred to uh, rightly so as a jerk uh, on a dating app uh, told uh, a woman that he met. Uh, she's a single mom. Uh, that he was interested in her, that he thought, you know, uh, it seemed like they had a pretty good connection. And the only problem, the the pesky issue, was those darn kids that she has. I think she has one or maybe two children. And he said, so here's my pitch. Uh, If you put your children up for adoption, we can start dating. Uh, The problem with that is absolutely no single mom would uh, go that road. I can't imagine anyone would. Stranger you met on dating app. Uh, tells you you got to give up the kids, got to put them up for adoption, and then you can date him. Instead, it went viral. Uh, she shared it all over social media, all over Reddit. The photo of the guy is a bunch of places now. It's almost like a mugshot or something you'd see if you walked into, like, a restaurant. Don't let this dude in. Uh, apparently, all over the Internet now, there are now uh, photos and posts of this guy. Do not date this guy. Uh, do not trust this guy. He's a terrible, horrible person because uh, he said, if you want to start a relationship, you just got to get rid of the... The pesky situation of being a mom. That's horrible. As a guy that was raised by a single mom, uh, that's kind of uniquely terrible. Uh, And the only reason I'm laughing, if anyone's confused as to where the humor comes from, it's the fact that that guy at some point in his brain uh, thought it would work. Like, yeah, this will be fine. She won't get mad. She won't put my uh, comments and my face all over the Internet for everyone to judge. She'll be totally cool and maybe even do the thing I'm asking her to do. Uh, No, sir. Uh, That would be a swing and a miss. All right, quick break. A lot more. 1470, 100 points, the most powerful to you, because the whole nine-minute thing went viral. So I'm going to play way more of it than I'm supposed to. Uh, not that I'm not allowed to. We can, we can play speeches and things. Um, I might jump in occasionally, because uh, otherwise some people are going to tell me, uh, what are you doing, Collins? Nobody even knows if you're hosting the show anymore. But it, it's very powerful. Uh, Richie Torres is the name of the politician. He is a Democrat out of New York, uh, a place where you wouldn't think I'd play a very long audio um, of a uh, person and ideologies they're sharing. Uh, but he's in a synagogue uh, on uh, Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Uh, day on, on Monday, and he's talking about 
uh, anti-Semitism. He's talking about uh, the world we live in right now and the, the challenges he sees. And again, it's being praised by uh, Democrats, uh, by uh, conservatives, by just a bunch of people as one of the more powerful speeches given uh, in general, uh, if not uh, absolutely on this issue. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to start it fairly early on in his comments. And as I said, probably play more of this than I should. Uh, it's the fault of him being good at public speaking and, and me being bad at deciding where to edit it. Here we go. Like all of you, I was profoundly shaken, not only by October 7th, but by the aftermath. I found it utterly horrifying to see fellow Americans openly cheering and celebrating the deadliest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. And for me, the aftermath of October 7th revealed a barbarity of the American heart that reminded me of an earlier and darker time in our nation's history, a time when the public mobs of Jim Crow would openly celebrate the lynching of African-Americans or the lynching of a Jewish American like Leo Frank. And so words cannot express the overwhelming outrage that I felt at the barbaric reaction to the barbarism of October 7th. You know, people often ask me, why do you care so deeply? Why do you speak out so frequently and forcefully against anti-Semitism? And I simply reply, you are asking the wrong question. The question is not, why have I chosen to be outspoken? The question is, why have others chosen to be silent amid the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust? Those are the opening remarks he made, and they are incredibly powerful. Uh, and as he said, um, he's asked constantly as a, a black man, uh, a Democrat out of New York, why focused on this issue, which is a weird thing. It'd be a weird thing to ask somebody uh, if they're trying to advocate for something like this or say that people have a uniquely horrible um, uh, reaction uh, to something uh, bad in our society. Be like, why do you care, though? Like that, that's, that's a weird uh, reaction in general. Um, you care if, if uh, you care about anything you want, I guess I can say to people. Uh, sometimes I'll go ahead and say that I think that some of these issues uh, that people scream and yell about online, I'm not going to be convinced to care about them just because you do. I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't care about that stuff. That's fine. That's on you. I want to play a little bit more of this uh, because I do uh, find some of the quotes and things. We're going to jump ahead a little bit in this audio even though I sort of regret that I'm doing that. I'm even, I'm even contemplating it right now. All right, let's, let's go. Let's do a little more. In 1945, there was a BBC reporter, Patrick Gordon Walker, who was present during the fifth day of the British Second Army's liberation of the Belsen Nazi concentration camp. And since he arrived on a Friday on the eve of Sabbath, he recorded for the BBC broadcast a religious service held in the concentration camp by Rabbi Leslie Henry Hartman. And as you might imagine, the religious service was both inspired and inspiring. Here you had survivors who had just been liberated. Many of them were frail and seriously ill. Many of them were starved and emaciated. These survivors easily could have felt overwhelming despair, but instead found the inner strength and inspiration to sing Haktikva, which as all of you know means hope. And after the singing of Haktikva, the rabbi cried out loud the words Am Israel High, which was captured live on the BBC broadcast. That was said to be the first and earliest recording of those words. 
And for me, I find, I find it that there's something poignant and even providential about the words, Am Israel High, emerging from a moment of hope and liberation. I don't know. It's incredibly powerful, again, and it's just odd uh, that it feels as though, uh, is what I'll say about an aspect of his comments, that it's it's coming against uh, the party that he's within, because so many in places like New York, especially uh, for young, overwhelmingly Democratic voters, uh, they are the ones that are, are protesting uh, what's going on in the Middle East. They're the ones that are calling for peace, even though Hamas has no interest in peace uh, against uh, Israel and against uh, the Jewish people. Uh, they want them all dead. They actually want Americans dead, too. Uh, but it's it's very profound. And so there's one other part of this that I do like. He plays some audio of Martin Luther King. Again, this was um, somewhat in a celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. Day uh, in New York uh, in a um, uh, synagogue. Uh, but I just I just think it's the, the powerful way in which um, this ends that I, I think I need to share with everyone as well. Uh, All right, so let's get right to this part of the audio, and let's go ahead and hit play one last time. On April 4th, Dr. King was assassinated. Even though he knew that he would never live to see the realization of the dream for which he fought, Dr. King never lost hope. The survivors of the Holocaust who sang Haktikva from the depths of a Nazi concentration camp never lost hope. And so if some of the greatest people who ever lived can never lose hope, then neither should we. Hope is the anthem of the Jewish people, and hope was the animating principle of America's greatest dreamer, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. God bless you all. I gotta be honest, when I hear that last part, uh, and I think about hope. I think about how overcoming a lot of uh, the mental health issues uh, that we have in society come from a a society that believes that better is around the corner and not worse in your own independent life or uh, in society as a whole. Uh, And so, yeah, I had to play a lot of that audio. I know it's a very serious way to end the show, and I'm out of time, so I got to go. Dave Ramsey's coming up next. Uh, AM, it's 1470, FM 100.3, and all over the internet. Uh, Download the WMBD radio app uh, to stay connected to us 